1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Dan Rubin. Dan, how are you? Welcome back.
0: You know, I had I had trick or last night with the baby for the first time. Went out with my niece and nephew. It was a uh, it was a fine night to be out wandering the streets of uh, of Greater Massachusetts, Metro West Massachusetts, in the pouring rain. <laughs> it was all, it was fantastic i mean what can i say nothing it, when, like it. when you walked outside and it wasn't raining then all of a sudden it started pouring that was uh with no umbrella of course
1: yeah of course naturally naturally
0: yeah <laughs> so well, baby was bone dry so that's good
1: there you go that's that's what really counts you know yes you had your own sources of uh of happiness we'll say uh you char- wet. Yeah, LA Chargers lost to the Patriots, so of course I'm going to be happy there. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us here. Uh, as, as mentioned previously, Mike had a prior obligation, and he is uh, stranded, struggling, trying to uh, survive the Florida Keys at the moment. Um, so pray for Mike. He's he's you know He's probably on Duval Street or whatever it is. It's fine. Um, so Dan, you are jumping in here, pinch hitting for Mike. It is, it is wonderful having you back on. It has been a few months. I think we talked to you in the preseason, but it's been a while. So, um, Dan, of course, from Eagles unlimited, uh, writing, covering the Boston college Eagles, uh, for bceagles.com. Um, so thank you for joining us, Dan. We are going to go through and recap all these games, all the action from the ACC this weekend. If you are, uh, if you're ready and amenable to doing that, let's do it, let's do it. Let's see what happens. We will uh, we will unfortunately start here, Dan, where we always start this particular recap podcast uh, following the tech mobile as we will refer to the Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University as the real tech for the next year until I find some weird like pro sports reason to give Georgia Tech that crown back. Uh, the Virginia Tech Hokies, 26, the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, 17. I, th- this doesn't make me feel a whole lot better about Virginia Tech. It made me feel a lot worse about Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech's defense, Dan, the last four weeks in the month of October, really, has been awful. Like they've been really bad. Uh, Virginia Tech in this game goes nine for nineteen on third downs, one for one on fourths. So you forced 19 third downs and they converted 10 of them. Um, they kept drives going, they extended drives. You had secondary blowing coverages. Trey Turner just running wide open, you know, in front of God and everyone. Nobody's covering. Um, you can't get sacks you can't get turnovers Georgia Tech's defense has forced and I'm not making this up they have forced one turnover total in their last four games and that was on like the game ceiling interception where Gunnar Holmberg just overthrew somebody and it fell into the safety's lap like you're doing nothing to put pressure on other teams and it's showing up on the scoreboard Dan like this this is really irritating for me <laughs> It, and and well it should i mean you go
0: back to to where this team was uh, about a month ago and they were two and two and had beaten unc and i remember looking into the coastal division and saying well that's a problem for the coastal division when north carolina lost to georgia Tech because then it becomes which team rises to the top and it could be i think that was when we were all saying there could be six teams that all finish with the same record and it's not uh, and it's not a knock against anyone i think it was i think it was just uh that was that was a solid solid Georgia Tech game Mm -hmm. and then you go through the next four games and even the win over Duke you don't feel great about the win over Duke even though it was on the road and you know beating beating anyone on the road is difficult I don't care I don't care if a team's winless or or undefeated Uh, but there are three losses in there just frustrating for for Georgia Tech in general and this last one I think might be the 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 most frustrating largely because of the different teams that, that that were in there. All right, you could chalk up a blowout and say it was a bad game. I mean, Virginia Tech did not necessarily was not lighting the world on fire. Should not have lit, lit the world on fire. And they go out and you know, of 250 passing yards, which is a lot for Braxton Burmeister this year. And you know, like you said, there's there's no turnovers. There's blown coverages. That for that's infuriating for a coach. That's infuriating for a fan. That's infuriating for a player because you feel like you have a game plan and then it's just, it just comes down to a missed execution and as we will get to if you miss an execution you wind up with a blown play it can cost you the game.
1: Oh, for sure, for sure. It's and again, Braxton Burmeister goes for 254 yards through the air. That was this that was like the high watermark on the season. He has not been like almost worth anything throwing the ball down the field and comes up with this number in this game. That's a damning stat. Um I I can't figure out Dan in particular how a program under Jeff Collins The minister of mayhem, he's he's a great defensive coordinator. He had good defenses everywhere he's been. How is it, Dan, that in year three, the defense is worse than it was in year one? The secondary, Collins is a a specialist with the secondary in particular. He's coached so many good DBs through the years. Why are they worse than they were two years ago?
0: Well, I, I think if it, I think if you look at it and there's things that will show up on film for them, it, it comes down to a, a combination of things. And and this is something that it, in a couple of games when we get to the Boston College side, I'll, I'll be able to touch on because I know the offensive VC of has been struggling as of late. Is when you look at a, at a team or you look at, at the way things work, there's a scheme, there's personnel, personnel has to be able to execute a scheme. And you have to have the right personnel ready to execute the scheme and and be able to adjust on the fly. And there's all these things. That's a real simplified way of looking at it. And it comes down to timing. Do you have a secondary, a defensive back who's timed perfectly to come in versus a hole? If he hits the hole a second too fast or a second too slow, that hole is either not open or it's already sealed on the flip side. If you're throwing downfield against a, a defensive back, he might be in coverage the whole way. All that receiver needs is a split second on him. So the blame will naturally shift to the coaching staff and, and, and on the players for obviously not executing in the right manner. And, and, you know, at the risk of sounding too harsh on it, 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 it should, I mean, that, that's, that's when a coach says we have to play better. We have to coach better. And it sounds like coach speak, but it's true. If you, if you give up a busted play or you don't create a turnover mm-hmm. and that's what you're predicated on, but by the same token, you have to go back and you have to analyze the scheme and say, if this is not working, how do we fix it? Do we apply more pressure? Do we apply less pressure? Do we switch personnel? Do we go three down? Do we go four down? Do we go two high? One high? Shift someone down? Disguise a scheme? That's all things that they have to discuss. Having not seen Georgia Tech, I can't say that they have or haven't, but obviously at this point, it has not worked at what they are trying to do.
1: Well, yeah, they, they came out in the Clemson game early this year uh, in a three-three-five look, which was Kind of surprising, like we hadn't really seen that from this this defense in the time that they'd been here yet. So that was kind of interesting, and then that was what worked really, really well against North Carolina, and it's also what's been just getting pushed around the last four games by Pittsburgh and Duke and Virginia and now Virginia Tech. Like there has been no adjustment. I I don't see the adjustment where they're you know putting a fourth man on the line or where they're you know, swapping some personnel on the back end or doing like that's. And I think that's really probably what it is for me, Dan, is it is not seeing that adjustment that you're talking about. It's like they keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. And that's, uh, you know, as they say, the definition of insanity.
0: (laughs) Well, the sack numbers also, I mean, when I look at the sack numbers, I'm expecting to see guys upwards of, you know, if you've got defensive linemen, not six sacks combined, you're expecting to see one guy step to the line and, you know, there are, there are guys who have tackle numbers and, and tackle numbers are great, especially sole and assisted tackles. I, I love the assisted tackle number because that, all that means is that you're getting multiple hats to the ball. And I think that's important. But when I look at the sack numbers, that means that they're not applying enough pressure. And if you're not applying enough pressure, then a quarterback's going downfield and, and has the time to look and check down and, and go through his progressions. And that, not every offensive line is going to block that well for an entire game. Uh, You know, you've got to be able to find and pick your spots. And I'm not saying to go freelancing, but again, difference in scheme, stand up at defensive end, play them, mask them with the linebackers. When I say two high, one high, you can play a safety up and have it mask a coverage versus a different linebacker if you're dropping someone into coverage. And if you're not doing that and you're not disguising the right guy, you're not going to be able to get pressure. Especially because if you're playing straight up, and again, I don't want to really know what Georgia Tech was throwing. If you're just playing straight up and trying to attack and it's not working, then you've got to throw something they're not ready for.
1: Yep, exactly. I, I will say, if I, if I have to give Georgia Tech's defense any credit here, it's that they were able to stand up to Virginia Tech in the red zone quite a bit. Um, you know, the Hokies only scored two touchdowns in this game. Uh, both of them in the first quarter, and then after that, it was just you know drives that stalled out in the red zone, end up kicking field goals. John Parker Romo goes four for five on field goals for the Hokies. Um, I, I will say this about Virginia Tech: I this does not save Justin Fuente's job. Um, I, I think at this point he's pretty toast, and we're just waiting on that date on the calendar where uh, the buyout drops. But um, you know it doesn't it doesn't hurt. I will say, I'll say this too. I got a, a funny tweet sent to me that was uh it was a gif of somebody just absolutely, totally scrambling, trying to type some stuff in on the computer. And it was Virginia Tech fans trying to show TCU fans, look, we've got a coach who won a game because after TCU fires, Gary Patterson, we've talked about J- Justin Fuente might do just fine in that Texas, Oklahoma, like big 12 country, like Come on down if you're them.
0: He's he was at TCU before he uh went to Memphis. He was the offensive coordinator there. I know that. And they've got a you know, Virginia Tech's got a favorable schedule down the rest of the down the rest of the fight too. So, mm-hmm. you know, don't don't count them out, especially in that division. They're they're coming to BC on Friday, and BC desperately needs a win. That's the red bandana game, the the second time they're gonna wear the red bandana uniforms this Ooh. year. But they've got Duke. They've got Duke at home, and then they've got Miami and Virginia and and you know, I look down that schedule and and you know, what do they got? What are they four and four at this point? And they could easily finish the year eight and four and, and be, and be walking out of a, you know, walking into a particular situation. It's all going to hinge on what they do this week, naturally, but you got, you got a favorable schedule. Uh, Granted the game at Miami is probably tougher than, but Miami is Miami. Miami could show up and score 55 points or Miami could show up and score 10 points. I mean, they're the most inconsistent team. I think I might see in a while, but, You know, Virginia Tech, their season's not over. And in that division, they only have two losses. Pittsburgh losing opens the door. Narrative isn't done at this point. I I know it's four and four. It's what you want to talk about when you look at a team and be like, hey, they lost three in a row. Yeah, they lost to Pitt and they lost to Notre Dame. And those are good football teams. And the loss to Syracuse wasn't great. Turn your season around. The whole narrative changes with one win. And they're right back in the division race because season whole narrative changed when Pittsburgh lost to Miami.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. I don't know how big you saw my eyes get when you pointed out that they could finish the season eight and four, but that was something I hadn't even like considered, but you're kind of right, is that like, they're going to be favored in at least two of these last four games, and I mean, the Virginia game, like Virginia, I think is a better team, but Virginia Tech has owned that rivalry for damn near two decades now, so like, anything's possible here, Dan, you're you're absolutely right, that's kind of, that's, that's a crazy thought, but that is on the table for sure. That is that is the ACC
0: this year, and we're going to learn a lot about Virginia Tech coming up on a Friday night into Boston in November.
1: Go ACC, baby. Virginia Tech 26, Georgia Tech 17. And, and Dan, this is the part where we tell the people that this recap was brought to you by Section103.com. Uh, first off, big shout-out to Stephen Little. Uh, he was the reason that I was at the game on on Saturday in great seats uh, let me use those tickets. We got a great picture. I still need to tweet it out, but we got a picture wearing Section 103 next to the Section 103 sign. Uh, Dan, I, I wore a performance T-shirt under a beautiful uh, official Tech Gold hoodie. It was fantastic. Um, the, the T-shirt underneath had the ATL logo. Um, everything was awesome from a uh, from a tickets standpoint and from a uh, an apparel standpoint. We'll say the on-field action, maybe not so much, but. Dan it did I, I felt good. I looked good wearing section 103 at the game. They have t-shirts, they have sweatshirts, they've got hoodies, all the official word marks, the official tech gold color, everything. Uh, so if you're looking to support Georgia Tech through your apparel choices, uh, highly recommend checking out section 103 dot com and use promo code goACC for 10% off your first order. Once again, that's section 103. com for all sorts of fantastic Georgia Tech apparel. Go check them out and shout out once again to Stephen Little for uh, you know for the sponsorship of this podcast as well as uh, letting me use his tickets there for Saturday's game. So thank you, thank you. Let's move on, Dan. Miami thirty-eight, Pittsburgh thirty-four. Uh, okay, here goes the uh, ACC Coastal Wheel of Destiny, I guess. Oh
0: man, poor Pittsburgh. I I gave him the kiss of death. That's what happened. I <laughs> ki- I I gave him the kiss of death. I was fired up for a Big East ACC champion. I yeah. was I was pumped about it, and and for what it's worth, for, from from uh, from an old Big East standpoint, I look at things and I see like Virginia Tech, and I'm like, all right, well, Virginia Tech and Miami haunted my dreams in the '90s and 2000s, and you know, they they were in the they were the southern teams in the northern league, like yeah. uh, Virginia Tech in West Virginia, they were always out of quote unquote out of place. We've always been accused in the North of being the, the out of place teams in the ACC. I was so pumped for Pittsburgh this year. Kenny Pickett. I was like, I was so pumped for Pittsburgh to be the coastal division champion, have a one loss or two loss, right? Like just be fired up. And then, and just like the big East, Miami comes along and ruins someone's season. Although back then it was Miami doing the ruining of everyone's season, but Mm -hmm. This one hurt. 38-34 Miami and two interceptions, the turnover chain, the the Pittsburgh secondary, I, I know was was not great, but mm-hmm. um it was uh this one hurts. Kenny
1: Pickett five hundred yards and uh and Pittsburgh still loses. In a losing effort. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. uh that's a tough scene. Um Kenny Pickett came to this game, Dan, having thrown one interception all season in their first what, seven games? He threw two in this one, and I think that was kind of a a pretty big deal here because uh, going down, you know, minus one in turnovers, uh, had over a hundred yards in penalties, really struggled to run the ball as normal, and uh, so just what the, what they were able to bring wasn't enough. Um, Pittsburgh really missed some opportunities in this game. Um, they they kind of handed Miami an easy touchdown on a uh, a short drive at the end of the second end of the second quarter. Uh, Pittsburgh gets the ball back off a punt and throws an interception immediately. So Miami ends up scoring a 37 yard, or scoring a touchdown on a 37 yard touchdown drive. Um, that didn't help. Then Pittsburgh turns around, and takes it and misses a field goal at the end of the half. Uh, and then they were also driving down four with the ball in about the 30 yard line. Throw a pass into the red zone late in the game, and it was intercepted as well. So it wasn't just you know that you you had two interceptions. Is that they were really critical mistakes that were being made that we had not seen Kenny Pickett make so far this year Uh, but then again this Pittsburgh defense or or this Miami defense is one of the best that Pittsburgh has seen so far I I would probably venture that Clemson last week was better but Miami's defense not terrible and, and able to make quarterbacks look bad when given the opportunity.
0: Yeah. And, and Miami's schedule as it's coming into full view. has been that even though they, they entered the game three and four is coming into view that it was probably one of the toughest schedules in the country. They played Alabama beginning of the season, two of those four losses. I mean, you lose to Virginia, uh, you lose to Virginia. All right, Virginia. That's a, that's a divisional loss. North Carolina is a lot better than I think that their, their record implies they lose to Michigan state who we're finding out is, is a really, really good team. And then they come into this game and you're saying, all right, what what is Miami 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 should have been one of those teams that you look at at the top of the top of the the ACC Coastal and then what happens is they come out and a team that's struggling or a team that is not or is underperforming or is the team that you're thinking isn't the team that you want them to be they come out and they have the game of their lives against Pitt which was reminiscent of when Miami was either undefeated or one loss and had the Coastal wrapped up and then went up to Pitt and Pitt had the game of its life and Ended Miami's shot at the at the big game. So
1: some scrappy um, startup freshman named Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett.
0: Yep. And and I look at this, and you're like, Miami has always had just these insane athletes that can run run up and down the field, and they, they just haven't had the synergy, or they haven't had the the cohesion of a team that you know you could take a team that has a little bit less talent, put it together, and have this amazing chemistry, and they come out and they can beat a team that has. Incredible athletes and incredible athletes that that are having trouble finding the right pieces to play together. That doesn't mean that they are playing selfishly. It just means they're having trouble. And Miami has always been that team, and they found the juice against Pittsburgh. Like they found it. 425 yards for Van Dyke, three touchdowns. I think Rambo's still running, even though he didn't have a touchdown. I think he still got like, (laughs) what did he have? Like three explosive catches. I mean, everyone had. I mean. I almost had a 50-yard catch in this game and, yeah. and just because of the way Van Dyke was
1: throwing the football. I was going to say, you, you look down the box score with the receiving numbers, Miami had six different receivers that had a catch of at least 20 yards. He had longs of 34, 22, 57, 57, 20, and 20. Like, that pit secondary is vulnerable, Dan. When you run up against mm. an offense that's able to take advantage of them, um, they will give up big plays. And, and that's, that's yeah. kind of something that we saw from Pitt – 3 4 years ago on defense uh it took years for that defense to really gel under Pat Narduzzi and it, it did there for a couple of years but now like with some of the pieces that they lost after the last couple seasons there there are big plays to be had if you are able to throw the ball consistently and protect your quarterback
0: well and I go back to the Georgia Tech game with them this is where it was kind of a red flag for me defensively because Georgia Tech had three or four 30 yard passes. I think they had a number of 20 yard passes downfield and they had that 70 yard bomb and they lost the game 52 21 because Georgia tech's defense was having trouble containing Kenny Pickett, which that's of no fault of anyone uh, that they had trouble stopping Kenny Pickett. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, that was a game that Georgia tech's goes out and scores 350 yards passing. and has a number of explosive plays that right there is the, all right, we score 52 points, 42 in the first half. If you're pit, Uh but within that, it's 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 kind of like if you if you win a baseball game nineteen to eight, and uh, and I realize that's a, a hidden Red Sox reference in there. <laughs> the it wasn't nineteen to eight, like you still gave up eight runs. That's a you know you gave up nineteen, you still gave up eight runs, and you know you turn around to what happened on Saturday with Miami, and yeah, I mean that was a blowout game. That you, at the end of it, you're celebrating if you're pit and, and you should celebrate it but there were a couple of underlying flags that I don't know if many people myself included were looking at which was you come out a few weeks later and a team like Miami goes out and and does that in the end the game like you said you come back to the missed field goal a turnover here or there and and you know there's a difference in the game but you know a team like Pitt who I saw as a as a potential top 10 you know competitor is if they if they went out is is now a team that you know is not going to be might is probably not going to have a number next to its name by the time this week gets fully underway.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and I think Pittsburgh is going to be okay here. I, I think, yeah. and we talked about this a little bit on the preview, Dan was that like, this was not the best matchup for Pittsburgh coming into this kind of letdown spot off the Clemson win the week before. Um, just knowing what Miami had started doing with Tyler Van Dyke at quarterback, chucking it down the field and, um, you know, knowing the ability that they're that Miami's defense had to get after Kenny Pickett in a little bit, um, they're going to be okay. They're still leading the Coastal. They still have a one-game lead on everybody with you know only the one in the conference loss column. Um, unfortunately, the uh, or fortunately for Pittsburgh, the Western Michigan loss does not count against them in the conference standings. And uh, just going to have to bring that up again, I guess. <laughs> Um, and then, I mean, you look down the stretch and again, you talk about like, what's, what's ahead at Duke home against North Carolina, home against Virginia at Syracuse, like Pitt's probably favored in at least three of those, if not all of them. So I, you know, I think you're looking at nine or 10 win Pittsburgh here. I, I still have that, uh, over seven and a half wins ticket that I'm feeling pretty good about. So we'll, uh, we'll see if we can finish the drill. I really, I
0: really think it's still pits I mean, Pittsburgh still got the lead anyway, so it's still their division to lose. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, with Virginia Tech breathing down their neck and and some other teams now that jump in, Miami jumps up, and Miami has the has the head to head. It becomes a little bit dicier for them. But at the same time, I know it's still you're still first in the division at this point for a reason. I think we'll learn more about Pitt and uh, Duke. We'll see what happens this week at Duke. That's got it's got to be a bounce back game on the road. But you come back to the. Uh, come back to that UNC game in a couple of weeks. And I think that's going to be the that's going to be the big one for them. If they if they go out and they handle UNC, then then it's their division and, yeah. and it's their division to lose at that point.
1: Yeah. And that's it's not a perfect UNC team by any stretch, but uh, they, they can jump up and beat people, too. So that, that'll be interesting to watch. Um, for sure. That's all I got here, Dan. Anything else?
0: No, that, that's it. Like I said, I'm still I'm still rooting for Pittsburgh. My old Big East loyalties, loyalties die hard, and and Miami, Miami, to be fair,
1: it's an old Big East team, but uh, uh, Northeast cold weather cities, we we all got to stick together. <laughs> hey, good win for Miami and Manny Diaz. That's two in a row in games that they were not expected to win. That they've uh, they've pulled it off. So Miami might might have something here. Might have something.
0: Yeah. I- yeah, for sure. They, they, they the, the door's open for them. It's cracked. It wasn't cracked before the game. If they lost this game, it was over.
1: There you go. Miami 38, Pittsburgh 34. Let's keep going here. Uh, let's talk about your Eagles, Dan. Syracuse 21, Boston College 6. And the the big thing that stuck out to me here and can, continues to stick out, and I'm just going to kind of tee this up for you and let you go for it. Boston College's offense has really struggled in conference play without Phil Dracovic. Um they have not yet scored 20 points against a conference opponent in four tries. Um, Dennis grissell starts here. We saw some Emmett Moorhead as well. That was announced, I think, before the game that that was going to happen. So, I, you know, tough scene there. But I, I mean, the Boston College defense continues playing hard, and I thought performed pretty well. Yeah, I mean,
0: this was a 14 nothing game that that flipped. Um, so, I mean, and and that I mean, I can be acu- I can be accused of making excuses on that one for sure. But because it was a 21-6 final, but I believe it was a 14-0 win that that just got away in five plays. I'll call it. So, BC during the week um, played it really close to their vest. Uh, Jeff Halfley played it close to about the quarterback situation. Said they were going. Said the answer was really easy and came out pretty quickly uh, to him on the film. And by that he meant he thought Emmett Moorhead was not ready to do any to not. He was almost there last week, was what I think he said yesterday in his press conference, and then. Uh, was there this week uh, ready to play for, for Syracuse. Now, true freshman, you got to be able to put him in a situation to succeed. Jeff Halfley said he doesn't love rotating quarterbacks. I, I don't love rotations either. I feel like it, it's, it's very difficult. I think BC handled it as well as could be expected. Uh, in the end, their numbers passing wind up where they were over the last couple of weeks. I also think that they balanced the offense a little bit more they're not pass heavy. They're able to run the football. I think there are issues with the offense for sure. I mean, they only scored six points, which were set up by two long passes. You had a long pass to CJ, you had a couple long passes rather to Zay Flowers that set up some points. Uh, so it's tough because they're doing, like, if you work through that game and you look at that game, Dennis Grossell completes a 40 yard pass, Emmett Moorhead completes a 40 yard pass. Um, they were opening up with short passes the running game and then a drive would stall and then something would stall or they they'd wind up having to kick a field goal and that leads from two touchdowns down to two field goals you're up six nothing and then the defense which had been standing on its head and didn't allow Garrett Schrader, who is a good passer to do anything throw he can complete a pass in the second half so you know you're you're shutting them down but then all of a sudden Sean Tucker does Sean Tucker things and my god he is a good running back like he's really he good. is He is filthy, stinking good. And then Schrader breaks off a long run. And all of a sudden now you've given up 300 yards rushing and you get a punt return for a touchdown against a special teams unit that's probably the best in the country and you lose 21-6. So it is eternally frustrating for Boston College. It's eternally frustrating for me to watch. It's eternally frustrating for a lot of people to watch because that game and you say, all right, 14-0 win. Last year was a 16-14 rock fight. You get into rock fights with Syracuse constantly. Mm -hmm. That's just a, it's, it's an old Northeast rivalry. That's what you do with them. You get, it was a 14, nothing rock fight and it turned into a 21, six loss because of a handful of plays, which is very frustrating in general for anyone. I don't care who you root for.
1: Yeah. Well, and you, you talked about some of these things where drives just stalled and it's, it's interesting to me to look at some of these, this drive chart for Boston college, You had drives of 38 yards, turnover on downs, 49 yards field goal, 28 yards punt, uh, 73 yards field goal, uh, 30 yards punt, you know, 18 yards turnover on downs. Like, you know, they had drives where they got something moving, and then you're right, like they they were not able to punch it into the end zone, and and it you're settling for field goals, and you're turning it over on downs, and doing some of those things. So it's. To some degree, it is some of the finer points, and I think to some degree, too, this is maybe what coaches will talk about with the importance of explosive plays in college football in particular, because you've got a bunch of 18- to 22-year-olds, you know, can you get them to do the the right thing four or five times in a row? Probably. Can you get them to do it like 10, 12, 14 times in a row? Probably not. Like, if you don't, you know, the longer a drive goes on, it's almost like the more that the offense is likely to stall out or something with a lot of teams, I think, so... That it, it's tough, but I don't know. I, I just wonder, like, and I was going to ask you this, Dan, you know, so we mentioned that they've struggled without Phil Dracovic, uh, here. I'm almost positive. I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, Dracovic. Oh, no, you're doing it right. You're like, doing it
0: right. Dracovic. Yeah. Not you're Dracovic. You're, the fir- you're actually the first person who I've, uh, who I've done something with who has said, who has said it right. So <laughs> that is a, that is, that is worth a win in the world series, Joey.
1: There, I, that's all I need. That's all I need. Just one, Dan. Um, I, when phil jerkovic went out um the the story was he was likely out for the year but maybe eligible to come back later do we have any sort of update on that do we know anything is he improving do we think he's gonna be back this year i mean he's
0: he's progressing um i know he, he was in the war like he travels with the team so you see him like during warmups or whatever and, and he's still working on his footwork and he's involved and I know he's for sure involved physically. Does he come back? I, I honestly don't know. And from from my standpoint, I always get dicey when I start asking about injuries. Cause I I, I try not to I try not to I'll be honest, I try not to ask about injuries because I don't know like the protocols around that or or any of that stuff when you can ask about a guy's medical condition other than what you see with him on the field. So I, I try not to ask too much about that. Uh, but he, you know, he I'll say this. I still really like Dennis Grossell as a quarterback. I really do. I think he's a good quarterback. When you're talking about a Phil Jerkovic, you're talking about a guy who's on the level of a Sam Howell. You're talking about a guy who, with this year, could have made himself into a first-round draft pick coming out of this year. I, I, I would, I would put, I would put anything on that that he's a fir- that he was going to be a first-round draft pick. If not after this year, then after next year. And I think he was mm-hmm. eligible for the draft after this year. I you cannot replace that like Mm -hmm. that is that is he is he is so good and you saw it in the first couple of weeks. So what you've got to come up with is can Dennis Grossell put some magic together and move the chains? Yes. Can he do it consistently? He hasn't. Uh, I mean, that's just that's that's just pure honesty. Emmett Moorhead is a true freshman. Can he he's got tons of skill. Can he go out there and move the chains? Well, he, he, he's got the skill to throw it down, so he's got the skill to go downfield, which Grossell also does, but can he move the chains? So they found a way with these two quarterbacks this week to move the chains a little bit more consistently with the running game. It's, it, it is obvious that the offense is missing Dracovic, but any offense is missing Dracovic. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just, that's just the, the case. So update on his status. Does he come back? I don't know. I mean, it's it's that's one of those that uh, we won't know until un, until if and when it happens, I guess.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I, I do want to hit on the C- Syracuse into this just briefly. You mentioned Sean Tucker. I mean, absolutely nasty. Twenty six carries for 207 yards and a touchdown, including a 51 yard breakaway there uh, in the middle of the game. He has been incredible for them the last two years, um, like especially with the way that they've redesigned this offense to focus on him and Garrett Schrader running the ball. Um, I mean, it has been a, a really, really impressive tandem and the way that they've reorganized this offense mid year is, is really an impressive coaching job from Dino Babers and that coaching staff, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And then I, I can't help but notice, and this kind of came out of nowhere, Dan, but Syracuse is five and four. <laughs> Syracuse sure are. Game, might win seven games. Yeah, I, they sure are. And, and,
0: and- I can't wait. I honestly can't wait to watch the game in a couple of weeks at Louisville. I mean, that's going to be two teams running all over the place. There could be there could be 800 yards rushing in that game like that. I can't I can't wait for that one. And when you look down the schedule, I mean, it, there's a still uphill path for Syracuse. Syracuse is five and four and could easily finish five and seven, too. I mean, at Louisville and at NC State, and then they have to come home and possibly. And like I said, winning on the road is so difficult at Louisville, at NC State versus Pitt. I mean, that's that's a murderer's row. For a team that's five and four, and arguably the last three hardest games for Syracuse, they've got to get healthy, they've got to get right, and Sean Tucker has to run for about fifteen hundred yards, and they'll be in a bowl game, and and they'll be in a good bowl game if they win out. They'll be in a, they could they could finish anywhere from eight and four to five and seven right now. I mean, I wouldn't put that past Syracuse at all, and and I mean, so do they land somewhere in the middle? Well, that would might get them to the Fenway bowl, and I'd love to see Sean Tucker in person in Boston. I mean, so there you go. I would I would love to go to that game. Unless BC's playing in that game, I would love to go to that Fenway bowl and see Sean Tucker in person.
1: <laughs> really impressive showing, I think, from from Syracuse, just across several weeks here. Um, beating Virginia Tech last week and then uh hanging on and, and finding a way to win this game against Boston College. Just a, a great effort. So shout out to Syracuse. Uh, Orange twenty one, Eagles six. Let's keep moving here, Dan. NC State 28, Louisville 13. This so, so I think this looks like this was just kind of a clean easy win for NC State and it was not. Um this was a this was a much closer game than I think that score would indicate. Uh, I believe it was 10-7 going into the fourth quarter. Um so Louis, and Louisville had the lead. This was a real struggle. NC State in particular had a brutal time trying to run the ball in this game. Uh, Zonovan Knight, Ricky Person, 19 carries for 44 yards uh, in this. That's not great. Uh, Louisville misses some opportunities, has a couple of drives stall out. Um, you know, NC State really just won this game in the fourth quarter, uh, scored three touchdowns on their final three full drives uh, to pull away and, and win this by a two-score margin.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the, I, I, I'm I'm willing to finally throw out there that we need more people talking about Malik Cunningham than they do. Uh that game, I mean, in the Louisville defense, we need to be talking more about Louisville than I think we all are mm-hmm. uh, Louisville
1: in a good is, way or in a bad way,
0: in a very good way. Oh, okay. I mean, the division, the division feels like for me at this point in NC State, they win that game because Devin Leary and 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 that game was that game was without the running game. I mean, if Devin Leary doesn't throw 315 yards, then then they don't win the game.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but that was a close game. That was a good game. NC State's running game wasn't there. Louisville is strong defense, run the football. Malik Cunningham's going to make a bunch of people miss at some point, and he's going to make at least two plays to make you turn your head. So this is this is like when you look at the score, you say, "All right, Louisville hung around, put a scare." NC State finally turned on the Jets, juiced out the fourth quarter, scored twenty-one points and won the game. We need to be talking about Louisville as a team that's like you know. Well, who's the dark horse? Who's the dark horse behind NC State and Clemson? Is the you know we didn't see Wake Forest happening. Louisville's they they're they're going to be very good. And this was a game that you're like they it, this game gets played next year. They win this game.
1: I, I'm just curious to see if they actually if if Satterfield and this staff are still around to build it. You know, like it. I'm sensing some frustration in the Louisville fan base, and I think a lot of it was really kind of self-inflicted by Satterfield you know coming into uh, coming out of last year with the way the whole South Carolina job thing went down. It's like Louisville was what four and seven last year or something and yeah, I mean that's bad, but you could explain that away with you know some of the turnover luck and they had a whole bunch of like one score losses and things like this. It really was that that South Carolina job thing that I think was this self-inflicted thing within that coaching staff that created some ill will that is now kind of stewing within the Louisville fan base. As they're 2-3 and three in the conference, uh, they, they lose again. You, you kind of question with what they're doing in recruiting and some things. Like, are they building? Like, is this getting better? Or, you know, without Tutu Atwell and Javian Hawkins and all those guys from last year, like, what happens when Malik Cunningham's gone?
0: Well, I, I think that's a reasonable question. I also think that if you look at the at the guy's three years, two out of three years, he conceivably wins seven or eight games and and goes to bowl games, and and the one year that he doesn't is weird COVID year with the four and seven record and and everything that happened with with the team last year. So mm-hmm. I think when you look at this team, you know, based on what he picked up and took out, I, I you know I hate to I hate to be like, no, you should appreciate this more the other, the grass is not always greener. Yeah. I, I mean, if, you, if you're, if co- you if you're a coach and you're looking at a program and you they look at you and say, you're a stepping stone to an SEC program or a PAC 12 or a better ACC job, then then you should embrace that. Personally speaking, like you embrace it and say, well, that means he's going to win a lot of football games here. Mm-hmm. So if he's looking, I, I'll never blame someone, a coach, a player, anyone for looking at another job and saying like, you know, hey, I, I want to at least see what's out there and all this other stuff. Like it's not it's not a slap in the face to your program if it's a better situation or if it falls through or all this other stuff. And from a recruiting standpoint, and 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 I have no clue what they've been doing or some of the players that they've been bringing in or or what their where their rankings are. Like I just I just don't know. Uh, but if he goes out and he wins six seven games, two of his first three years, he's earned a little bit for me leeway to say, let's see what you can do in year four. Let's see what you can do in year five. And if you choose to leave and go to a better situation for you, then you know, hopefully we can bring in a coach who can continue to keep this churning forward and not just blow it up and you know go down a three and nine or two and ten or whatever they whatever they whatever winds up happening there. So yep. I think the guy's a good coach. And as far as as far as I've seen out of this team, he's been able to keep that Louisville football method of dual threat quarterback who can fire the ball over the field, stingy defense he's got that in place keep that rolling and enjoy that because mm-hmm. the grass is not really, you, you can get discontented and then it, it becomes a it goes the opposite way i mean unless it's unless it's a complete disaster and it's the best thing for all for all parties but it doesn't seem that way at least not to me but again i don't i don't know what's going on half the time
1: well and i mean it's interesting like the defense the defense played really well for three quarters of this game for Louisville, which yep. is kind of surprising because they they have been fairly glitchy for a lot of this year, and it's it's bringing a lot of questions to defensive coordinator Brian Brown of, like, uh, so it's year three. Like, what are we doing here? Um, but then, you know, th- so they were pretty stingy here. They gave up seven points in the first three quarters, and then NC State <laughs> rips off, like, 190 of their 320 yards on their final three possessions. So it, it just like some, you know, the dam kind of broke there at the end. I think um, that that's not a great sign, but it, it is good when you can hold down a rushing attack like NC State's to the degree that they did. Like that's that is a positive sign. Um, you know, they they did force Emeka Emezi, Trent Penix, some of these guys, Devin Carter as well. like had a, had some pretty great plays in the passing game for NC State to uh, kind of be able to propel them there in the fourth quarter, but. Yeah, I mean good good win for NC State. Good for them to kind of bounce back in the way they did after losing a, a bit of a heartbreaker last week to Miami. Um you know, I I don't think this is like a fire satterfield kind of situation at Louisville. I just I do think the fan base is getting, you know, kind of restless with what are we what are we putting up with if we're not also getting wins in in you know in response and that's i think that's a a bit of a a conditioned response that they have too after uh dealing with bobby petrino twice and you know everything else that's happened in between so
0: i will say i will say this you played well for three quarters and then nc state happened and nc state is 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 good they're just if wake forest doesn't open up the season eight no then then nc state is is your in order for the ACC championship, if uh, as long as as long as nothing weird happens next week at FSU for them, that game against Wake Forest is going to be like the, the Atlantic Division it's, championship. It's gonna game, be, baby, oh, it's going to be. You know what's going to happen? The NC State's going to be. No, NC State's going to beat Wake Forest, and they're going to ball them out. And then the next week, they're going to host. They're going to host Syracuse. Sean Tucker's going to run for two hundred and seventy-five yards, and Syracuse
1: is going to throw a wrench into everything. It's. It's like you've watched this conference for a little bit. <laughs> How did you know? I have personal history
0: with Syracuse disrupting and de- derailing my entire life. <laughs> 17 years ago in November. Well, I don't have to go down that road, but
1: uh, NC State, man, they are they are so good.
0: They're just a good football
1: team. They are good. And, and the other shout out we need to make, there is a, uh, oh man, I'm just going to go ahead and Google this for just a second. Um, so Peyton Thomas went out earlier this year for the season. I believe he had an ankle injury. We found out last week that they're also going to be missing Isaiah Moore. You know, th- Those are your two best linebackers, You're your two of the best linebackers in the ACC. NC State lost them both for the rest of the year. They needed something from somebody in this game at linebacker. Drake Thomas, 15 tackles, two sacks. Uh, pass deflection like he he was awesome in this game shout out to him and that nc state defense for uh bowing up when they had to keeping louisville out of the end zone for most of the night
0: have a day anytime you get 10 tackles that's a that's that's worthy of a game ball you get 15 tackles you get front row seats on the uh, you get your choice of whatever your next road trip is you get a choice (laughs) of of whatever seat you want on the plane
1: there you go there you go so shout out to drake thomas on that uh dan 28 13 NC State wins over Louisville. Let's keep moving here. The number eleven Notre Dame Fighting Irish 44. North Carolina 34. This was a friggin' track meet. This was just like up and down the field all night long. This was this was a crazy game. Did you get a chance to watch any of it?
0: I did. I did. This was, this was on when I was, uh, when I was eating on Saturday afternoon. And that was like, I, I, there was one point where you're like trying to eat a bite of what I think I have like falafel or something. I'm like going to take a bite of it. And I'm like, wait, what? Like it was just, it was, another, you get a point. Another you get a point. Yeah. It was, oh, it was, it was, you know what? It, it's, it's like watching when you watch the big 12 and uh, knowing me, like I used to watch and be like, this is terrible. Why do you want to watch team score on every single drive? Where's the defense? And then you see two teams that you watch do it, and
1: you're like, this is awesome. Yeah. This is awesome. Keep <laughs> scoring. Fun. Let's go. This is fun. I like this. Everyone scores points. Notre I was Dame's, all in on that. Notre Dame scored on like almost every offensive possession they had throughout this entire game. Their drive chart reads punt, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, 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 punt, touchdown, field goal, field goal. Like, <laughs> they punted twice, and they scored on every other possession the entire game.
0: <laughs> well, at least coach has something to go on yeah they, well, when and, they go in and film
1: and North Carolina wasn't far behind him I mean the North Carolina drive chart was punt touchdown field goal field goal touchdown punt touchdown punt interception touchdown so it was really those two uh that, you know a couple of turnovers there or just one turnover I guess in particular that did North Carolina in here they just weren't fully able to keep up um man Kyron Williams 22 carries for 199 yards and a touchdown it was in a 91 yard touchdown ride Run Uh, Notre Dame kind of ran the ball down North Carolina's throats in the way that we thought that they might coming in.
0: Yeah. I mean, that was no. So Notre Dame is an offense that you look at and you're like, well, they should be, they should be high powered. They should be incredibly high powered and, you know, and throw it all over the field. They've always got incredible athletes at at quarterback. I remember when, when I watched Ian book uh, and, and when Ian book was supposed to become Phil Kovac, uh, you'd look and be like, they got these guys who just have cannon arms and you find out book and can dual threat run. And that's what your does too. And I think it was a cone that's there and, and, and he can throw the ball and you're like, wow, these guys, they can just fire the ball. They should, they could throw the ball 40 times a game and throw 400 yards. And then you realize that the offensive scheme does that, but they also have running backs who can run the ball down your throat and that they're just going to keep handing it off. And Congratulations, you tackled Kyron Williams on one play, so now we're going to run the, ru- the quarterback at you. Maybe we'll run another running back at you. I remember there was a game, it's got to be Kyron Williams, either freshman year or sophomore year, where he ran for 200 yards. Like, there was an insane amount of yards that he racked up against BC. And, man, 90-yard run, when you see that happen and the guy gets out open field like that, is that, that's, to me, probably next to the kick return for touchdowns, most exciting play in college football Like that's just that's just fun.
1: Yep, yep. So, I mean, yeah, good performance by Notre Dame here offensively. Conversely, North Carolina's defense leaves a little something to be desired. I mean, you gave up almost 300 yards on the ground here. Not great. It, it's interesting to me looking at North Carolina's offense, Dan, because it just, like, continues to be this, like, Sam Howell and Josh Downs basically trying to do it all themselves uh, <laughs> Sam Howell leads the team with 91 yards on the ground uh, Josh Downs 10 catches for 142 yards in the passing game and then everybody else is just sort of like role players it's just it's weird to me with the way that they have recruited the last few years that this is kind of where they've regressed to is it's basically a two-man show and I realize that Ty Chandler hasn't really been all he was cracked up to be coming into this year for him but you don't have like any other solutions on offense other than running your first round draft pick quarterback like 18 times in this game like
0: really well and and the confusing thing to me is anytime I see Ian Book run uh not Ian Book I'm sorry Sam Howell run um and correction on myself it was not Kyron Williams because he's only a sophomore but I don't remember who the running back was a couple of years ago at the Notre Dame offense um in that game at BC but it was um, when you look at Sam Howell and and you see what he can do, there is a tendency I feel to expect a quarterback like that to be able to throw the ball over the field and and you want to use that and and just use him as your running option too because he can run the football. I think there needs to be a little bit more from from somewhere else, just somewhere else. Like find a find another back that can that can take the heat off of him, open it up, run design. Like there's, um, you know, the, you you gotta be able to design something for him and be able to find a dump off to a tight end or a short slant that becomes the equivalent of a four yard run. Like Mm -hmm. the, the the Patriots offense from a few years ago, used to do that all the time. They'd line up five wide slot receiver over the middle would catch the ball. He'd catch it for four or five yard gain. And that'd be the equivalent of running the football four yards up the middle. And, and that was the, And I don't feel like that's happening at North Carolina right now. Now, Mm -hmm. I think when you look at, if you take the 90 yards off, the, um, if you take the 90 yards off the board from Sam Howell, you slash that in half, you've got a very different outlook on this offense in general, but you, you just got to come up with something different right now. There's something that's a miss right there. And that's part of the reason why North Carolina, who's a team that was supposed to be 10 and two this year, 11 and one is down at four and four is because There's just something missing when you have Sam Howell
1: doing as much as he's doing right now. It's been a really weird year for North Carolina. I mean, they've basically alternated wins and losses the whole season. I mean, it was a loss to Virginia Tech and then a blowout win over Georgia State and a blowout win over Virginia. And then it was a big loss to Georgia Tech and then a blowout win over Duke. And then it was a loss to Florida State. And then it was a close win over Miami, and now it's you know kind of a blowout loss to Notre Dame. It's like, I I don't really know what team this is going to be on any given week. Um, so, I don't know. Just kind of a strange, strange situation for, for North Carolina, we'll say. Um, I've played a lot of home games. They've got a couple on the road here coming up. Uh, going to be really interesting. They're 4-4. Four and four. They need two wins for ball eligibility. They still have a home game against Wofford. But the other three are home against Wake at Pittsburgh and at NC State. And... I mean they're going to get one of those, right?
0: Right? Well, if you couldn't tell by the way I rambled about North Carolina, I have no idea what to expect out of this team <laughs> anymore. So, I, you know, it and if you have let's put it this way. If you have a quarterback that's that good, you and you don't win a certain amount of games, then you, there's a there's a major question of why that needs to be answered. And that doesn't mm-hmm. mean analyze the coach and fire Mac Brown or fire the position coaches, or fire a coordinator, not saying that at all. What I am saying is you need to look back at your scheme. You need to look back and say, what did we do over the course of the season that made us that inconsistent? Wait, Tism, you go down the rest of that schedule, those three games, they've got to come up with a win somewhere and going to Pittsburgh in November, not fun. Uh, It's just not, it's going to be cold. It's going to be windy. Windy. It's going to be gross. Going to Raleigh at the end of the year, also—that's a gross trip. Like that's Mm -hmm. that's just that's not a fun trip to make. Raleigh, especially if North Carolina State has a chance to win the Atlantic Division. So yeah. And your last remaining home game of note is Wake Forest. So congratulations. Enjoy your last three games that aren't Wofford, right?
1: Oh, that's, that's, that's a uh, that's a non-conference game against Wake Forest, by the way. Yeah,
0: right. That's the and, and, you know, kudos to them for for committing to that. too. That's not the first time they've done that.
1: I know. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I love it. We uh, we will have to see. We'll have to see North Carolina. I I thought you're going to win like 10 games and win the Coastal, but neither of those things is going to happen, I guess. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> neither of us is going to happen for anybody with the way this with the way this league gets with parody. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Pittsburgh staring down the uh, the possibility of 10 wins. Like, mm, I don't know. Might try losing to Miami and Western Michigan. Who knows? Notre Dame 44, North Carolina 34. A couple more here, Dan. Uh, Clemson 30, Florida State 20. Did you see the way that this game ended? No, I'll be honest. I can't
0: believe I'm saying this in a college football season, but I had almost no interest in like no outside of it being an Atlantic division game. There were so many other games that I had to pay attention to either for the the divisional race or like you go back three years, this game would have been like back in 2018. This would have been like the seven and five, seven and five game between like, it was that year Pittsburgh and might've been Georgia tech that year, Pittsburgh, Georgia tech, like one of those where neither team was in the coastal division race. So I, I was like, yeah, it's, it'll, it'll, hurt pole positioning for somebody. So I did not watch this game at all, which I cannot believe I say that about Florida State and Clemson, but mm-hmm. welcome to 2021.
1: Yeah, imagine telling Dan in 2016, it's like, yeah, Clemson and Florida State are going to play here in a couple of years and nobody's going to pay any lick of attention to it. Uh, the, the thing that – man, Dan, so the way that this game ended, this was like the bad beat of the year, at least in the conference, if not in college football. Like this was – so so Clemson was, depending on when you got the number, Clemson was like a 10-point favorite thereabouts. And the total, I believe, was 47. Clemson is up 24-20 to 20 with like five seconds left. And Florida State tries to run like a hook and ladder, pitchy-pitchy woo-woo, you know, whatever we're going to call it. Florida State throws the ball around a couple times. It's finally on the ground. A Clemson defender scoops it up and falls into the end zone. To score a touchdown, to push the spread, and put the game over the total—like, are you effing kidding me? Really? Like, absolutely disgusting. Beat Dan, disgusting.
0: If gambling, if sports gambling were legalized in Massachusetts, I would have, I would, I would offer commentary on it. But it is not. <laughs> it is not, and therefore, I will not.
1: <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, we'll, we'll leave that there. Um, this game was arguably, I think the best passing performance we've seen from big Cinco. The problem is that that still resulted in 19 of 31 for 189 and a touchdown and a pick. Um, so that's still pretty underwhelming, but that was better than what we've gotten from him. So potential improvement there, uh, will Shipley also back in full force at this point, 25 carries for 128 yards and two scores. Um, uh, he is, he is good. He is going to be really good for them. I think over the next couple of years, he's been really special here as a true freshman. Um, Clemson overall turns the ball over three times. They lost a couple of fumbles, plus Big Cinco had that pick. Uh, one of the fumbles was uh, Jermaine Johnson for Florida State swooping in, stripping the ball from from uh, DJU, picking it up and running it in for a touchdown. Just the, it was the old screw it, I'll do it myself moment. It was awesome. <laughs> it was g- a great play. <laughs>
0: I love it when a guy does that. There was a guy who did that for Louisville a number of years ago, and in the uh, game against BC, he sacked the quarterback, picked up the ball, and ran it the rest of the way. But that wasn't that wasn't a short run. That was a that was a large man running very fast down the sideline. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, Clemson, you know, this is the game. Like I was saying earlier about Miami, we have teams that are way too talented to play poorly, and at some point they're going to play really well. But in this one, they just it, for again, I didn't watch it, but even based on the numbers, they're just two teams that are very talented, but have not played well and didn't really play great against one another. Mm -hmm. So will Shipley can go out and win the game by himself with 128 yards rushing because neither quarterback throws for 200 yards. Neither one is particularly effective getting the right, getting drives going. Like it's just, it it winds up being one of those games, which both of these teams at some point, I'm still convinced are going to have one of those days where you're like, this team is too, talented to not play really well so clemson you know still has that opportunity you know, with it. it's probably gonna be the lake forest game or it's gonna be the louisville game next week where they they just go out and, and dj does dj things and will shipley runs for two runs for 150 yards in the process and florida state is probably gonna be in the same boat where there's gonna be a game at some point where they just put it all together uh, Miami is a good bet for that. Uh, the game in November against BC up here. I'm hoping that it's snowing because uh, like Florida State has has played well on the road up here. So it's it, the, these are just teams that are that are just not playing well this year that are going to do it at some point.
1: Yeah, I, I honestly I don't have a whole lot to say about this game. Yeah, I, I mean, Clemson is what they are. Uh, their defense was enough to kind of shut down Florida State's offense. Um, the Noles scored two touchdowns on offense. Clemson sacked them six times. Like, I, these teams are what they are at this point, and, and neither one yeah. is nearly as good as they should be. Like you're, you're referring to here, Dan, with like the, the talent available to them on the roster, at least in terms of skill talent, you know, talent on defense, they should be better, and Clemson's defense is really good. But, yeah, I mean, it just it is what It's kind of a lost year for Clemson. Um, Florida state clearly going to take some time to fully rebuild. Uh, they were coming off three straight wins and this is a little bit of a come back down to earth moment. So, uh, you know, tough for the Noles. Yeah. But anyways, Clemson 30, Florida state 20, absolute worst beat of the year. Worst beat of the year. I I can't imagine a worse one. (laughs) That's terrible. Uh, BYU 66, Virginia 49. I was really confident that Virginia was going to win this game, (laughs) And and, I mean, they hung with them and this was a a fun back and forth game. I mean, Virginia took a 49 to 45 lead late in the third quarter and then BYU just like put it on them and won the fourth quarter, 21 to nothing. And that was all she wrote. Uh, Speaking of track meets, just yards and points everywhere.
0: Yeah. Tyler Allgaier still running. (laughs) Yeah. Beginning of the month, I actually saw the game between BYU and Utah State. Uh, thank, thanks very much to my daughter for uh, for not sleeping that night. I, I got to watch, uh, I got to watch West. I got to watch a lot of college football that was on like the replay that you could watch. That when it's on at like two o'clock in the morning, and you're just like, it, it's like, yeah, I, I was watching that. Um, it was on. It was on a two like two fifteen in the morning on on my on my internet stream. Um, but he ran for two hundred yards against Utah State. And I remember that. And I was like, wow, this guy's good. And then I'm like, I'm going to follow him. And then, they lost the, and then they lost the two games in a row where he combined for 100 yards. And I'm like, well, all right. I don't know anything about football again. That's great. <laughs> and then he comes out in the next two games against Washington State and Virginia and runs for 200 yards. And both of those and ran for 266 against the, against the Cavaliers. So Tyler Allgaier, very good. If you're up late, watch BYU. They're a very good football team. They are a very, very, very good football team.
1: I mean, maybe, but they're a very good football team that scored 21 points against Wazoo last week. Like, and you scored 66 yeah. against Virginia. Like, I, just, I think it does tell us something about the, the the Cavs offense or the Cavs defense. Like, this is not great. Not great when you give up 266 no. yards and five touchdowns on the ground to Tyler Allegheier. Like, might be good. I don't think he's that good. He's not Barry Sanders. Like... <laughs>
0: No, he's and, and, you know, truthfully, if you score 35 points in a quarter, you also shouldn't lose the game. Yeah. Um, You can't give up 21 points in two quarters. And and Virginia did that. And Virginia gave up 35 points and in, in se- uh, scored 35 points in the second quarter. Brendan Armstrong is um is also very good. So that was I mean, that game had the potential to be a track meet, but they never live up to that. And Still can't. I mean, you can't give up 35 points in the second quarter. Uh, you can't score 35 points in the second quarter and then give up 21 on the fourth.
1: Yeah. I I will say Virginia is struggling in the fourth. Some of that probably had something to do with Brennan Armstrong coming out of this game with what he's pretty much clearly mouthing to the quarterbacks coach on the sideline. My ribs are broken. Um, (laughs) so yeah, if if he's got broken ribs, you know, we'll see if he can come back here. They got a bye week coming up next week. We'll see if they can come back in two weeks and see if he's okay. If not, I, I don't know. That's not a good sign for Virginia. Um, We'll have to see what he's able to do because he's he's been kind of the the center point of that entire offense all year. Um, he's been really good, and so to, to lose him would not be a uh, not be a positive development by any stretch. No, not at all. So good win for BYU. Uh, too bad for Virginia. Oh well, uh, go get him next week. Who's in two weeks? Hopefully with Brandon Armstrong. BYU sixty six, UVA forty nine. Uh, last ACC ga- game uh, here, Dan. The number thirteen, Wake Forest steam and Deeks forty-five, Duke seven, as a Wake Forest stays undefeated and keeps rolling. Duke keeps rolling in the wrong direction. We'll say. Uh, I, I was going to point this out earlier, talking about you know the Georgia Tech like kind of heartache win over Duke. Like, let's look at Duke's four conference games so far. Lost thirty-eight-seven to North Carolina lost 31-27 to Georgia Tech, lost 48-0 to Virginia, lost 45 to 7 here to Wake. Uh they've only scored one touchdown, you know, or one touchdown or less against UNC, Virginia and Wake and they scored, you know, 27 points and missed a bunch of field goals against Georgia Tech. Like tells us something about Georgia Tech, I think, but you know, hey. Um good win for Wake Forest. They just keep rolling here.
0: Yeah. And simplest point is something I made a, p- a point at the beginning of the season, which is if you want to be in the race at the end, you have to hand like there, there are two things. One, you have to play all your games and you have to win all your games and you have to win. Like you can't play the game at the end of November without playing the game at the beginning of November. Yada, yada. You've heard me say that mm-hmm. every year going on. However long I've been doing this podcast, coming in, talking
1: to you. It's just math, um, Dan. simple math.
0: Yeah, it's simple math. <laughs> but if you want to be a division champion, there is no problem in saying you have to handle games against certain opponents. And and by that, I mean, when we were talking at the beginning of the season, um, you know, you have to be able to beat certain teams. Like you cannot be an eight or nine win or 10 win team. And you, you can't be a 10 win team and be losing to the team that is entering the game in last place in a division. And mm-hmm. by that, I mean, you can't be Wake Forest and expect to win your division. If you'd have lost to old dominion and you can't go out, you have to, you have to be able to handle all those games. They beat Duke. They did what they needed to do. Duke, tough season. you know it's it's slipping away very quickly uh, with the four straight losses. but Wake Forest did what it needed to do. Sam Hartman did what he needed to do. They were at home. Handle it. Don't let that game be any worse than it needed to be or better than it needed to be. Get ready for UNC because if that game's tough, you you, you don't want to take it with any less seriousness than than it needs or, or the, the you know that that disrespects an opponent but it's totally reasonable to walk into a game against Army or walk into a game against Duke and say, let's just win this one. Let's execute our game plan and and walk out for now. Yep. Uh, Duke will be back. Duke will be. I am, I. I. am. The Coastal Division being what it is, Duke will be back.
1: I mean, this has just been
0: a, a tough year for them.
1: Yeah, it has. It, it was rough. And, and by the way, Duke scored seven points here. Uh, they scored that touchdown like midway through the fourth quarter on their final possession. Like, that was, the, that was the only thing that stood between them and getting uh, getting shut out here. Um, yeah, rough scene. Gunnar Holmberg gets uh, replaced at one point in this game by Riley Leonard, the backup. That didn't really work either. Mateo Durant, you know, nice game for them. 20 carries for 103 yards. But, yeah, this is not great. And I, I, I think it's probably going to be time to move on from David Cutcliffe, but we'll have to see. He's, you
0: know, he's, he, he is, he is still the coach that, you know, three, four years ago, and, and I eliminate 2020 for a number of reasons, but 2019 they went five and seven, 2018, they won eight games, 2017, they won a bowl game. They, they went seven and six and won a bowl game. So it, as things slip down and dipped down, he, uh, he is still, and, and I'm playing, playing on the other side of this. Cause I'm, I'm always that, that, that sunny roses type of guy. He, he has been able to turn it around in the past. So, you, you you, know, like I said, last year starting to slip away. It's not lost yet, but it's going to be very tough for them to to make some magic happen in the last four games.
1: Yep, sure will. Wake Forest, 45, Duke, seven. Uh, last one here, Dan. And, uh, you know, as you know, around here, we are mostly an ACC football podcast, but there's also an anonymous or a uh, an honorary ACC team that we'd like to cover. That would be the Bowling Green Falcons, 56-Buffalo, 44. Uh, Big win for Bowling Green here. And I I think it's the only thing that's worth noting here, and this was something that was sent over this morning. uh, Roger Sherman on Twitter points out, Scott Leffler is Bowling Green's head coach and offensive play caller. Since hiring him, they've finished 128th, 126th, and 119th in scoring, and they've averaged 16.2 points per game. He got ejected in the second half of this game with two unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. And after that, the offense rips off 28 points in six drives.
0: <laughs> I can't believe he got multiple unsportsmanlike conduct penalties.
1: I bet he's like, Yeah.
0: He's one of the nicest guys I've ever had in a press car. Like when he was the offensive coordinator at Boston College, he was an incredibly nice human being. Mm-hmm. I can't believe he got it. And then to have that happen, that's just, uh, that's, that's your. After it happens because you've been angry and you got yourself ejected and you're not that type of guy, then you go to the locker room, your team scores 28 points, I guess you're happy. I guess you lit the fire under them. It's like baseball coach taking the base and running off, right?
1: I guess so. Covering covering the plate. (laughs) The strategic ejection. I like it. Um, I I did see somewhere that they they put this rule in a few years ago where a second unsportsmanlike penalty on either a coach or a player uh, will get you ejected. Scott Leffler, I believe, on Saturday became the first coach to actually be ejected through that rule. So, hey, uh, you know what? Go Falcons. Hey, and credit them for a 10-6 win over Miami a couple of weeks ago in hockey.
0: <laughs> they, uh, they beat Miami of Ohio. Uh, they tied them the first night and then beat them 6-4 the next night. I know, college hockey. Yeah, <laughs> ACC, ACC hockey, it's Miami of Ohio.
1: See, this is really why we bring you on this podcast, Dan, is to get the, uh, the college hockey updates as well. <laughs> I had to remember that, that game that those games happened and that bowling green
0: won them because bowling green hockey is, is pretty good. Anyways, I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna bore I'm not gonna bore people with going on and on about college hockey.
1: Bore people. This this is the part where the podcast I saw
0: is. a fight this weekend. I saw a full fledged line brawl this weekend. Is that right?
1: Yeah, division one hockey game. Dang. I love it. I love it. Uh Dan, let's move forward. You want to get out some awards? Hey, why not? Hit the music here. Uh, the GoACC moment of the week came from your Boston College Eagles game. Uh, early in the fourth quarter, your Eagles had the ball first and ten on the Syracuse fifteen. They are knocking on the door, trying to score some points, stay in the game. What happened then, Dan? Uh, not, not, not,
0: not great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was tough. Uh, For so it was first and ten on the fifteen. Emmett Moorhead was playing quarterback at that point. Snap got away from him. Um, I don't know if it was miscommunication or if it was a bad snap. Snap gets away, lose 20 yards. Next one, he gets hurried, throws it away, and then takes a sack. And uh, BC wound up punting from the Syracuse 45 on a 4th and 40. So wound up going backwards 30, 30 yards. That was – I don't think I've ever seen that. I don't think I'll ever see that again. But I don't think I've ever seen that in a football game. So that was – that was, that was, that was tough.
1: First and 10 in the red zone. Ends up punting on 4 and 40 Go ACC to that. Boston College. Attaboy. Uh, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award this week, Dan. I think it goes to Pittsburgh trying to play as a ranked team. Like, just when, just when you think Pittsburgh has it all figured out, everything is lined up and ready to go, just when you think you have all the answers, Miami changes the questions.
0: This one hurt this one hurts because i like i was all in you know again i'm all in on the old biggies um uh, i really thought pittsburgh was you know i was ready for it and i don't know how many times miami's done this to everyone but it uh in the last 30 years but this was a I uh, i really wanted pittsburgh to win I, I i know i'm supposed to be unbiased as a member of the media you know cabal or whatever it is but i was uh i was really going i was really hoping pittsburgh wake forest was going to be like one of those two one lost teams winning both divisions and that that didn't happen so i think i jinx i think i cursed pittsburgh that was my fault why is this conference the way that it is game why
1: uh, hey you know what it's parody it's parody and it's chaos it's kind of like a parody sometimes uh <laughs> pittsburgh you tried as a ranked team and now uh it's just wake Wake is the last team that the ACC has in the polls for now. We'll see if uh, anyone else can jump up. But uh, good on good on you. You tried. You tried, Pitt. Uh, the Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter of the Week Award, Dan. I'm going to give this one to Malik Cunningham uh, for Louisville, who had 46 pass attempts and rushing attempts and came up with a grand total of 295 yards on those. And so, again – Rushing and passing less than seven yards per try on forty-six tries. Not, not the most efficient day at the office. Kobe. No, no, and but I still stand by.
0: I still stand by what I said about him being a, a guy that you. – with the ball in his hands and he's going to do magical things with it. So, yeah. this one just didn't. This one didn't work out the way I think it was intended. But I'm still, I'm still very in on, on Malik Cunningham being uh, being a guy that that's that. You know what? If you give him forty six touches, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's just you know he needed another fifty or sixty yards.
1: Or fifty or sixty touches, either
0: way. Who did he have? Two hundred something, three hundred yards against Wake Forest
1: earlier this year passing. I think that's what it was. Might be right. Yeah, I'd have to go look. He's he's been good at times. He just he is not consistently good or bad, and you just don't really know who's going to show up until uh, you're in the middle of the second quarter and get a feel for it.
0: I just I'm ready for I am ready for him to do, and I realize I've been saying this for a couple of years, but he's uh, I'm I'm still convinced he's gonna he's gonna do some really really great things, and and. I I he is probably one of my favorite athletes in the ACC so He's I'm sticking I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with I'm gonna stick on this side and I will I will
1: hold that hill with Malik Cunningham <laughs> all right your call <laughs> Dan uh, ACC player of the week I'm um, go with Devin Leary kind of willed his team to victory there in the fourth quarter against Louisville uh, you know, a little over 300 passing yards, but that was really the difference. And that was what what made it work and, and gave them the win. So credit to Devin Leary. But there were plenty of good candidates here as well. Devin Leary
0: is the next one down there. He's going to be the um, he's going to be that guy who. So I readily admit when Jacoby Brissett was there and I looked at it and I'm like, is he really that good? Was what I remember saying to my dad. And then he came in and when he was the, starting for the Patriots and he's managed, I think he started for the Colts and then he was down in Miami this year. Devin Leary is going to be a guy like that where you look at and you're like, in retrospect, you're like, boy, he was really good in college. But was he really that good when you see him like starting for a particular team? And then he goes out and he's going to win like nine games in the NFL. And you're going to remind yourself like Mike Glennon, I think, did that for Virginia Tech where you're like, was he really that? He was great when he was in college. But then you're like, was he really that good? And then he goes out and he wins like seven or eight games in the NFL. And you're like, OK, look, okay, yeah, he, he was not not the best not the best, not one of those Sam mm-hmm. Howell, Trevor Lawrence. But let me tell you, Devin Leary is awesome. Yeah. In college and will be very, very good in the pros. He
1: he's fun. He's a talented guy. I remember he came yeah. in, I think it was last year, uh, in like game three, game four, he came in and it was like, Well, like, where has this been? Like, this is way better than what they were getting from I think Bailey Hockman or whoever it was at that point. So Yeah. Shout out to Devin Leary, he had a big game to get the win over Louisville. And then team of the week, Dan. I'm going with the Miami Hurricanes, pulling off that win, the upset, going into Pittsburgh, and, and doing what Clemson couldn't do last week. Um, Manny Diaz might sneaky be saving his job, maybe.
0: Miami man, don't bet don't bet against them. They are uh, if you were to look at if you were to look at the schedule right now, and you were to look the the whole narrative around the ACC changed on Saturday when Miami beat. Uh, Pittsburgh so mm-hmm. Virginia Tech's right in there and depending on what happens with Pittsburgh the rest of the way Pittsburgh's you know whatever happens with their schedule whatever happens in the Atlantic division you got four games left from Miami you got Virginia Tech that game November 20th in South Florida sneaky 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 could be your ACC coastal division hmm. you know could be depending on how things go with Pittsburgh because Anything can happen. This is, you know, thing. But Miami changed a lot by beating Pittsburgh this week.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they sure did. They sure did. That was a huge win for them and for that program. They needed that badly. Um, it's just funny to me looking at the uh, the <laughs> the ACC standings, and as I look down the Coastal Division, it's six and two, six and three, four and four, four and four, four and four, three and five, three and five. Like that's, <sighs> we're back, Dan. We are back. College football is it's back. Like <laughs> it's right where it should be.
0: Well, and 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 we saw this. I mean, I will say this will be the last thing that I I think I can throw in there is uh, we we saw this coming. I guess a couple of years ago when there were a lot of seven and five teams and Clemson was undefeated, and it was the rest of the ACC has struggled to consistently win non-conference games. But Clemson is Clemson, and now what we're seeing is a lot of four and four and three and five teams that'll thin out. But it's uh, parity is a good thing, but you need to have someone be able to every every league is always 500 you need to have someone be able to, to claim something more
1: jump up more that's right jump up more dan that's all i've got on week nine in the acc anything else
0: uh dude if mike gets marooned in in the keys
1: uh and gets stuck in the trade winds he will leave this in good hands on this seat you'll be here i'll be here <laughs> i appreciate it dan this has been so awesome thank you so much for jumping in and pinch hitting for mike here uh, do you want to tell the people real quick where they can go find your stuff?
0: Um, yeah, so it's at it's it's at BCEagles.com under Eagles Unlimited, covering the rest of this football season. We'll have basketball season cut uh picking up this week with with Media Day a whole bunch of good stuff. Um, non-secreters, also occasional comments about my daughter on my Twitter at BC Dan Rubin. Mm-hmm. And uh of course, live tweeting at some point, the Braves clinching game six, winning the World Series. Please you have the power you have the power of the Braves' original hometown. Running behind you right now, Joey. I promise. The original hometown of Boston Braves. We're we're pulling for the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> well,
1: I appreciate that. I, I'm never really sure if you're pulling for the Braves or against the Astros, but you know, six and one half dozen not the other. It's fine.
0: Yes. Yes, we are doing something like that.
1: <laughs> Dan, this is awesome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Um w- look forward to having you on again sometime soon to talk some more Boston College. Uh, we'll we'll do that here in the near future. For sure. We are we're gonna get out of here. We're gonna come back. We got a preview week. 10 is that yeah week 10 sounds right um we're gonna do that mike should hopefully be not marooned in the keys but we'll see um so he'll come back preview week 10 later this week Uh, we'll keep going from there in the meantime y'all can find us on twitter i'm at ftrs joey he is at mike mcdaniel sos together we're at bc podcast acc and once again you can go find dan rubin at bc dan rubin on twitter all one word Uh, all sorts of fantastic boston college coverage go check him out there uh you can find us on itunes on spotify pretty much anywhere you normally find your podcasts uh go hit follow hit the subscribe button we really appreciate those uh, who have done that do it on your, your your wife's phone on your kids phones like whatever let's get those downloads going let's go um dan they can find us uh they can send us an email with questions comments concerns to the longest email address known to man basketball conference podcast at gmail.com nailed it thank you thank you i was, I was hoping you're gonna jump in on that one um <laughs> We actually did get a, a couple of really good listener emails uh, that we need to get to on the on the re, on the preview show here in a few days. So we will uh, we'll be addressing those. We got them. We appreciate those who sent them in. Uh, Dan, they can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at BC Podcast ACC. Do it for the gram. Um, all sorts of places. Go find us there. We really appreciate those who have uh, come, come join us in celebrating the ACC and all of its weirdness. Uh, Dan... That's all I got. Thank you so much. We look forward to having you on again soon.
0: Let's do it. I'm uh, thrilled to be here. And, and Mike, uh, I, I kept your seat warm. It's, it's yours for the taking. Um, might have to grip it out of my fingers, but it's <laughs> yours for the taking when you get back. Enjoy, enjoy the keys.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Dan. We'll talk to you later, all right? Thanks, Joey. All right. Well, until next time in the Week 10 preview, I am Joey Weaver for Mr. Dan Rubin. We will talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC.